No matter how good a liturgist a preacher may be, no matter how skilled in governing a congregation or even in exercising individual pastoral care, none of this can ever replace proper preaching. This is and remains the chief means for administering the holy office in a blessed manner. As the Apology of the Augsburg Confession states in Article 24 on the Mass, there is nothing that keeps people at church more than good preaching. Furthermore, in the article on confession, if you want to retain the church among you, then you must strive to permit proper teaching and preaching. With it, you can create goodwill and constant obedience. Welcome, everyone. You are listening to A Word Fitly Spoken. I'm Willie Grills here with Adam Kuntz. Continuing our Preaching Christ series, this episode focusing on C.F.W. Walther. Adam, how's it going? Uh, It's going great. How are you? Doing well. Um, We're doing an interesting episode. Zelwyn has gone into the great northern forests to forage in preparation for hibernation, so he is (laughs) not with us today. And so we remember him. If, If you're any hunters out there, he will not be wearing orange, so please keep an eye out for any cryptids. It might well be... Our co-host. <laughs> Flatlanders keep moving. This is a mountain people only neighborhood. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> how uh, how is the weather in Fort Wayne? <laughs> yeah, speaking of the mountains, um, it's fine. The uh, the garden's coming up well, so I'm happy with that. Good. Mild weather here in uh, central Illinois, so garden is growing a bit too well with everything else growing in it, but that's okay. That's part of it. Weather very nice, so no complaints. Well, we begin this series with Walter Meyer, someone very famous in his time, perhaps his work's a little bit neglected today, but if we ever get some things back in print, maybe that we can remedy that. But now we're moving on to a subject uh, that gets a lot of ink, and that would be C.F.W. Walther and his preaching. A very interesting subject for us. One of the things that we stress here at Word Fitly is taking people in their historical context and using primary sources when we can. Walther has become the preaching model for a lot of the Missouri Synod, but he's been distilled into, what would you say, Adam, catchphrases, slogans? Yeah, no question. Um, Yeah. And one might even say platitudes. And so with that we lose a lot of the meat found in Walther. We get kind of a caricatured version of his approach to preaching if we don't go back to what he says. And you can read his book, Law and Gospel, which is actually compiled in an interesting way, almost like table talk or something like that. But in his other works, of course, he has a lot to say about preaching. So that's what we endeavor to do, to look at the practical advice that Walther gives and see if it informs us at all today. You know, do we have to reinvent the wheel when it comes to preaching? Or is the key really rediscovering something that we might have lost along the way? So, Adam, where should we begin? Yeah, we're going to start with Walther's pastoral theology, and uh, links to that in Law and Gospel are, are in the show notes. Folks can pick that up if they don't already own it. What we're starting with is Walther's advice on how to preach. Probably in a future episode, we'll get to looking at some of Walther's own sermons and examining you know, their rhetoric, their style, their organization. But his advice is particularly interesting because, like you were saying, he has become 
to many people a series of catchphrases, which even folks that haven't been to seminary, haven't taken a pre haven't taken a preaching class would probably recognize because pastors regurgitate this stuff. The problem with that is that there's a lot of history between Walther and our thinking that we understand Walther. There's an entire homiletics textbook written by his student Reinhold Pieper, that's one of Franz's younger brothers, that has been lost, that hopefully we're going to be working on bringing back and bringing out in English. And there is, above all, a man named Richard Kemmerer, on whom I'd like to do a future episode that won't be all that laudatory, because I think that Walther has been warped by time. So when we look at the advice that he gives for preaching, it starts out with the idea that preaching is what he calls the chief means. And that adjective chief is something that you'll find in Walther and most Lutheran theologians also describing the doctrine of justification. So if you think of justification as the chief article of Christian doctrine, that is, it's at the heart and center of the whole thing, justification by faith for the sake of Christ, all of that, everything centers around that. That is the the heart, the kernel of the gospel. Similarly, if you think about pastoral theology, what does a pastor do and how does he carry out his office? Chief is the adjective used for preaching because it's at the heart and center of the whole thing. And Walther says many times over in his pastoral theology, you can kind of get all the rest of it down, right? You can, you can, you can know how to fold your hands at every single point in the service. You can know how to run a meeting. Plenty of guys probably should practice that kind of stuff more. But if, you're, <laughs> if your preaching is not what you're primarily working at and praying about, you are not conducting your office in the way that it's meant to be conducted because the office is identified by Walther as primarily a preaching office. Right. And we should p- point out that for Walther, it's not merely uh, an academic exercise. Like that's not no. the only way in no. which you become a good preacher. I mean, we can get bogged into that too. If I just right. parse, can I, can I parse every letter? Can I spend 40 hours a week in grammar and come up with a good sermon? <laughs> no, right. no, you can't. Right. And and so th- there is more, certainly more to it than a, you know, than a purely etymological exercise, as it were, right, or or, or right. whatever. You know, I'm going to read uh, right. 20 hours of Luther this week, and then magically I'll have a good sermon, or or something. Yeah. Well, that 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 was actually a real thing in Walther's time. There were there were guys. I mean, I I I think of it though that. These guys, they did spend enormous amounts of time, almost unbelievable amounts of time doing things like reading Luther, but I think they spent unimaginable amounts of time doing a lot of things. And, uh, but Walther does make the comment in two different places, you know, uh, it's not as hard to get better at preaching as you might think. He said, a lot of pastors waste a lot of time. (laughs) And he says, not all of that is actually wasted on things like fishing. It's wasted on things that seem holy, but do not do not enable you to carry out the office in such an efficient and blessed manner as preaching well. <laughs> there you go. Right. Yeah. And so, I mean, that's it's it's that simple. Um, time management, arguably even harder nowadays with every every <laughs> oh, bit yeah. of distraction that we have. Oh, yeah. You know, and that is very interesting because Walter's going to talk about the need for sermons to be contemporary. And by that, we right. mean relevant to the audience. And right. you can spend too much time pouring over every piece of awful pop culture or media, you know, news, that sort of thing to where <laughs> you're you're no good. You know, your sermons are just <laughs> Harry Potter references and statistics. 
I mean, yeah, I mean, how much of the how much of the internet do you have to look at before you realize it's like seventy eight percent cancer? <laughs> That's right. You're being very generous today, though. <laughs> I I am. I am. I, well, the sun is shining, so <laughs> right. It's very interesting how much of this will be relevant, and I think we'll, as we typically do, we end up seeing a much more human Walter than yep. what we're we're often presented. And he also loved pipe tobacco, so you know what's not to like. He did right. <laughs> When he gets started talking about preaching, he says that above all, faithfulness is required. And for a preacher, the reason that we invest time in uh, not only Hebrew and Greek, but also knowing the English Bible well, and I think, I think for preachers, simply learning to think well and to speak well, the reason for that is that what we're faithful to is is the text above all things. Right, and we have to know it well enough that. And Walther quotes here, as, as is his want, he quotes Luther talking about when you come down from the pulpit, you need to not ask for forgiveness mm-hmm. because this is not a matter of your displaying your, your great humility. You have to speak in a tone, in a manner, and with a conviction that says, thus says the Lord. You are an apostle and prophet of Jesus Christ. That's actually a phrase that Luther uses several times. So you're, you're above all, you're, you're authorized by the text. Uh, so you have to know the text inside and out and backwards and forwards. And you have to not only know it so that you can proclaim it with conviction, you also have to apportion it or divide it rightly. And usually when Lutherans think of that, they go straight into the, the distinction between law and gospel. And that is part of it. But when Walther is talking about dividing rightly, and he identifies preaching the whole counsel of God, right? That phrase that Paul uses with the Ephesian elders. I have not shrunk from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Walther has a three parts to the whole counsel of God. And that is the means by which faith is obtained. Basically, a very basic presentation of law and gospel such that you could offer to the unconverted, right? Walther will will usually use the vocabulary of unconverted or converted. And the counsel of God includes how do I obtain this faith which is justifying? Right. So that would be a basic repent and believe the gospel, but also contained in the whole counsel of God, which Walther says should in some form be in practically every sermon is how to live a Christian life. (laughs) okay so this is where first of all when you when you you know when you start out and you say oh walther you know distinction between law and gospel well distinction between law and gospel is the capacity to understand how the law and the gospel differ from each other which he outlines in those lectures but it also pertains to understanding that when the law is understood rightly it is also a guide for christians and so god's counsel also includes admonition to a christian life well, you can get to the gospel predominating, and then I'll make my point. Go ahead. And then, yeah, so that the third criterion is that the gospel predominates, and we'll talk about, you know, what are the reasons for that. But so you've got, you've got, how do I obtain faith? How do I live faithfully? And then, what is the center of that faith? Right. And see, part and parcel of rightly dividing long gospel, as it were, is correctly exegeting the text and preaching the whole of the text. And we'll get into this a little bit more, you know, not not using the text as just a springboard to get to whatever you want to say, no matter what it is. So if we preach the text rightly, the assigned text, or perhaps you're preaching through a book or something like that, you will inevitably find how to obtain faith and a guide for Christian living, and of course, the gospel predominating. It's really hard to go through the Bible and not have instruction. 
<laughs> yes, indeed, it is. Yeah, and and it, it's almost, and I don't understand why people don't see how absurd it is to say otherwise. And we'll get to you know some of these errors we're prone to today, so I don't want to get into all of it just now. But we are going to highlight some of the absurdities in modern preaching. I I hope. Well, heck, it's my it's our podcast. We we will we'll do it. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, and I. Th- I think when you I think when you're you're talking about gospel predominance I think one of the errors is that that has been taken as two things that it, it actually explicitly is not in Walther's pastoral theology and one is that it is a sermon structure. Mm. And Walther refutes this also in Law and Gospel is that the distinction between law and gospel is to be used throughout a text but is not itself a homiletical outline. This is this is a common problem throughout history in the 17th century Rambach, or he might be 18th century. I can't remember off the top of my, where's Zelwyn when I need him? He's in the <laughs> Northern forest. Rambach uses the fivefold uh, use of scripture, which we'll talk about later. And he says, it's not a sermon outline. And Kemmerer has his goal malady means in the 20th century yeah. and, ha- and has to complain about it's not a sermon outline. So <laughs> this is kind of a common, as soon as you would offer advice on preaching, lazy preachers say, oh, okay, there's my sermon. Yeah, here's, here's my <laughs> formula. How do I fit it in there? Right. Everything's right, like right, a McRib, right. you know, it's like this, they, they want it, they want the mold for the, for the fake rib patty. That's how they want to crank out the sermon. Yeah, horrible image. Great analogy. Apologies to the McDonald's corporation. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Please no well, McDonald's. <laughs> so yeah, that, that's what, that's what we find. And people are looking for that easy way. Right. So right. we can, okay, I've got my formula. Now let's push these words through that grid and outcomes something resembling a a pork rib patty, something resembling a sermon. And that's not what we want. You know, I find it, you know, and it's, it's tricky because the sermon really has to apply to the people you're preaching it to. And certain congregations need to hear different things from the same text. And that's the way the texts work though. Um, That's fine. And, uh, you know, you can't, you could write a generalized sermon you know, that would that would more or less work, but sermons kind of have to be specialized in a lot of ways. They they really do. And we'll talk about this later, but I have often reflected on the idea because at the seminary the students are always picking who is their favorite preacher. And one thing that I have tried to teach in my classes is that if the Lord wanted these sort of league tables to be compiled, he would move preachers around much more often than he does. Mm-hmm. Because I think it is that that specific knowledge of people and the capacity to apply the word to them that is developed over time by a man in a place that I, I don't think it's actually, you, you could say rhetorically, some people are better public speakers than others. I'm completely fine saying that, but I, I do not think that that translates into they're better preachers than others because, you know, the sermon that is preached by the guy who actually knew your, you know, 16 year old who died in a car accident, that is a much better sermon than somebody, somebody that has better public speaking skills that had, that did not know the child at all and wandered into church that day and is preaching the sermon. Absolutely. One more thing kind of, you know, messed up about this predominance of the gospel idea is that it has been taken as a, a philosophy of being a pastor generally 
And you might have heard the phrase used to justify things that were probably uh, at least ethically dubious. The guy might have said that he wanted to err on the side of the gospel. Walther actually doesn't, doesn't indicate that you should try to err anywhere. And if someone needs the law preached to him, you're not permitted by God's word to err on the side of the gospel in that case. Right. Let's err on the <laughs> side of universalism. Or, right, right. I mean, because that's logical outcome there. Yeah, and and I know what people mean, and we'll get yeah. into this a little bit more. Of course, I mean that there, just as there are caricatures of how we should do a sermon, there are caricatures of people in the pews, and that doesn't help us either. There's all these proverbial Christians, or these proverbial smoldering wicks, and things like that. So we think, well, hypothetically, this person could be out there. So I need to temper whatever I say for this hypothetical person's sake, instead of taking yeah. into account the real actual person there. You know, I, I think that the average Christian, we'll use that term loosely today, is different than the 19th century Christian that Walther is preaching to, is different from the ancient Christian that Chrysostom's preaching to, frankly. Yeah, right. So, right. And, and that needs to be taken into account, you know, in our vocabulary, but also in what we emphasize versus what we don't. Right. I mean, I mean <laughs> there are things that we have to tackle from the pulpit that even our immediate predecessors would have never in- anticipated. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And so it's a it's a strange world that we live in. It is. And it and is. It, and if and if we're only going to generalize and seek to kind of placate or to smooth over to use a good English term, then we might as well just step down and just do the readings and be done with it. But, you know, that word needs to be opened up, it needs to be expounded on, it needs to be allowed to chisel away at the hard stone of men's hearts. And, right. if, and, if, we, and if we seek to avoid parts of these texts, then it's not going to happen. We, right. we basically just end up with one sermon that we use every Sunday. So, <laughs> Yeah, well, and, and that has been done and probably is being done in many places. And it's an easy thing to fall into. It it is. It's a formula, and the problem with formulae is that they actually work sometimes, and so people begin to use them over and over again. The hearers, however, are not so dull as that, and they will perceive that you're doing the, the exact same thing every Sunday, and that will cause them to tune out. So when we're talking about gospel predominance, I want to be very clear that what what Walther means by this is simply that it is in the nature of the New Testament ministry that it is, you know, according to Paul in Second Corinthians three. It's we're ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. So the, you know, in, in technical terminology, the proper work of the New Testament ministry is to proclaim the gospel, which gives life, which brings regeneration and renewal, a new birth, a, a heavenly birth. That does not mean that we don't preach the law or that we don't preach the text. It means that the overall goal of the whole thing is that uh, sinners might hear the gospel and trust in Christ for their eternal salvation. So gospel predominance means that you always keep that in mind whenever you're doing anything, right? In the same sense that when, I mean, for goodness sake, if you're excommunicating somebody, if it should come to that, you're not doing it quote, to make him feel bad or because, quote, you think you're better than he is or something. You're doing it to save his eternal soul, right? You're letting the gospel predominate because you're proclaiming the law so that he might repent and believe the gospel. Yep, absolutely. Well, hey, with that, we're on our first break. We'll be right back with more Word Fitly Spoken.
But he said, Yea, rather blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. You are listening to A Word Fitly Spoken. Hang tight. We'll be right back with more Word Fitly. Welcome back, everyone. You are listening to A Word Fitly Spoken. I'm Willie Grills here with Adam Kuntz talking about preaching and CFW Walther. Well, uh, we had a great introduction there uh, to what we're going to talk about. Now let's take a look at what Walther says about rightly applying the Word of God. Yeah, he's going off a very classical understanding of this. Again, this is definitely something that drops out of LCMS uh, discussion of preaching certainly after the Second World War, but it stretches back much, much earlier than the LCMS. And that is what you might think of as the fivefold use of scripture. So this comes from two different places in the Bible. Let me just read them quickly. The first is 2 Timothy 3.16, where Paul writes, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And then from Romans 15 verse 4, you've got this. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. So this is much older than Walther. He's picking up on a long tradition. And it's interesting that he talks about it this way, because although he discusses law and gospel in his pastoral theology, and obviously in his lectures, that, that separate book, when he talks about how the preacher should actually apportion the parts of scripture, he goes into much greater depth on this fivefold use of scripture, which is old enough that all the different things have their own sort of Greek derived adjective, which we're not going to go into today. <laughs> but when he thinks about, you know, how do I, how do I take this text from this, you know, what, whatever ancient time it's from older or, or newer, and apply it to the people that are actually in front of me on Sunday morning, he thinks about this fivefold use. What's interesting to me is that prior to reading Walther's pastoral theology, I had never heard of this. I don't know if you had, Willie, but I had never heard of it. No one ever said, when you're thinking about how to put stuff out there in front of people, here's a helpful rubric, teaching, rebuke false doctrine, rebuke sin, train in righteousness, comfort. <laughs> right. No, no, definitely not. not yeah, uh, definitely a, uh, shall we say, a unique concept. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's just not how other people do. It doesn't make it wrong, necessarily, but just to say no. it's, it's unique to its own situation. Right. Kind of German in that way, I guess, but. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I think the the one that he sees as basic or foundational to all the other ones is this idea of teaching. And there is something that I think he's asserting about the souls of the hearers, which is really important. And I think about this when I think about things like the things that actually teach people apart from our preaching, like 
their phones and their TVs and stuff is that this tone is usually not one that you find, you know, almost anywhere except like David Attenborough documentaries. Mm-hmm. And and because the tone that he sees as basic to the sermon is this tone of teaching, which is received, he says, in quiet contemplation. So basically what I'm going to do in every sermon to some to some degree or another, because he doesn't actually say every sermon has to contain all five uses. It's not it's not an outline, but it, it's also like you don't even have to have all five. Like you don't have to say, OK, um, uh, Jesus wept. Let me dig up this ancient heretical group that maintained that Jesus <laughs> that he didn't, didn't really weep. weep right. You know? right. <laughs> right. But you do have to have teaching in every sermon, he says, right. because it's basically like you're going to give you're, you're going to respect the soul of the hearer enough to say, I'm going to give you time to consider this. I mean, but here we, here we come to another problem where once you get these lists, people think, OK, I have to check off every yep. box. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And thus the That's modern right. sermon manual. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, the, the thing that I was thinking was Walter had something that was like Bible class called Christian teaching that would happen in the afternoons in mm. almost all our congregations at the time. Well, you wonder if that's not a carryover from the German catechetical service, too. Yeah, or, it is. It, 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 I mean, that's, you know, you're, you're right. That's what it is. What I, what I want, the, the, the falsehood that I'm trying to head off is oh, well, he didn't have Bible class, so he smushed Bible class. It's like, no, he was doing what you think you're doing in Bible class in his sermons. Right. So he's taking time to explain this is this, and and this is connected to this, and, and this is that. And that's not the entirety of every sermon, but he is saying this is actually foundational because if they don't know this stuff, when else are they going to find it out? And if you think about the average congregation or, or even in a, let's say you are an amazing teacher. And half your congregation comes to Bible class every Sunday. That's still only half your congregation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. You know, and, and there is a lot of remedial work to be done. Right. I mean, there, there was a lot of work to do, of course, in Walter's day. We don't want to diminish that. But if we think about the level of biblical knowledge that people have, and we've talked about this a lot in the podcast, but yeah. Yeah. we have to re-explain, or in, in a lot of cases, explain for the first time a lot of things. You just cannot take as much for granted anymore. Right. He says that, you know, you need to cover everything in the course of the year. He's got a a kind of amazing list of topics that you need to cover. And of course, when he's thinking about the year, he's thinking about what has now become, you know, sort of like set by the wayside as the one-year lectionary. (laughs) But (laughs) <laughs> I want to I want I want to read some things on this list uh, just because it's just he's he's if an attentive hearer has perhaps already listened to a preacher for years without having been informed about important things that belong to Christian faith and life remember so that's what this list is going to be then this would not be this would be a not insignificant charge against the preacher if a preacher for example has never given thorough instruction about and he's got a bunch of different things I'm not going to read everything but among them are of children toward parents, of servants and apprentices toward their masters, of wives toward their husbands and vice versa, about the binding nature of engagement, about marriage, (laughs) (laughs) about the necessity of parental consent for marriage, about the education and training of children at home and in schools. So have you talked about that recently? About morning table and evening prayers, about family devotions, about usury, 
about the inspiration of Holy based. Scripture, about, about so based, about church and sects, about the nature, use, and benefit of the sacraments, about afflictions, about the sin against the Holy Spirit, about the election of grace, about Christian perfection, and so forth. Now, he's not saying you're do, like this is the sermon where you just this is the usury sermon. But he is saying, these are the five minutes where you instruct them on the illegitimate taking of interest, right? Mm -hmm. Because you don't want them to go through life being subject to these sorts of schemes or practicing them upon others. Now, I picked one that was purposefully, you know, out of the way for us. Also, because Walther, when he talks about sermons being contemporary, does not mean that you neglect things. And he explicitly said this, you don't neglect something just because it seems old fashioned. Or right. offensive to modern ears, exactly, and that and that that really is <laughs> retroactively aimed right at us. <laughs> oh, I know, I know. So and, by I mean by contemporary, he's actually saying like you guys have never heard about this, but it's in God's word, so I have to tell you about it. Right, I can't just say oh well this is passe or uncomfortable, so we'll just right. we'll just not talk about it. Or worse, worse than be, than knowing it's true. And, and 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 stepping around it is to believe in your heart that some part of God's word isn't true. Oh yeah, or, or, right. You know, or or, or has right. nothing to say to the Christian. I mean, granted, the other one's really bad too. But for the for the congregation to be under such a man who would say, "Oh, I'm just going to deliberately ignore this. It doesn't apply to me. That's old fashioned, right. or or whatever, right. whatever the excuse is, or right. or it's usually something more clever nowadays. Well, you don't really understand if you did the real study you would know you know it's always the equivocator <laughs> and, right. yeah i mean you don't you don't have to load people down with things that they're not yet ready to hear he's very clear about that and he's got some really interesting quotes from luther about some guy that went into a congregation that that wasn't yet had had not yet been reformed and just started hammering on papist abuses and Luther writes, you know, listen, like they're just going to think you're angry. They're not going to <laughs> listen to you, even though you're right about this. So Walther is very clear that when you're preaching, uh, you have to take into account the congregation's current capacity to handle knowledge. That cannot, however, be sort of a cope for the preacher like, oh, after my being here for 15 years, they're still not ready for this. Like, mm -hmm. Your faithfulness to God's word entails not that you dump everything on people at once, but that you have a plan worked out. You plan your preaching year by year and also kind of where things are moving so that they are taught God's word. Well, and a lot of this comes down to to wisdom and tact as well. Right, right, exactly. You have to have that. And you have to have a willingness also to preach texts other than the gospel. That you can actually preach the epistle whoa, if you want. Well, hold, hold up, hold up, hold up. <laughs> and you even get an Old Testament reading now. So Walter didn't have that. Advantage. I know, so, right? So right? you know, we you are, can. You we can, are so blessed, right? You can preach on these things. We've come up with these little like shibboleths that you can't move, or these 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 sort of pious fables, right? You must always preach on this text. Well, why? Well, because it's greater. Well, so who said that? And if they did say it, they came at a time when you had daily masses and things where you had opportunity to hear the daily lectionary. So until you're implementing that and really pushing everyone to come to it, feel free to preach on whichever text you want to. 
And hey, you could also make the case you could right there you go. Uh, You could also make the case that certain times a pastor may step away from the lectionary and and preach on a specific text for a specific time. This is something that is often necessary, or sometimes necessary. We don't want to say often because then everybody will will start changing it, as we've seen in in very recent history, um, just (laughs) just in reaction to every every event. We don't want to go that far, right? Right. But, you know, let's say a tornado hits and blows the roof off your church, you know, might be a good time, you know, to pick a different text, maybe an applicable text there, something in the Psalms. You know, I don't know that that's the time to sing a hymn about steeples falling, but you might, you know, so sometimes, sometimes you have to adjust and that's, that's fine. Right. Right. And th- that's why you need to be in the scriptures and know the scriptures and think, hey, okay, now God has brought to mind this text just for this time. And so then you can start dividing it in that particular situation. So, so yeah, teaching certainly foundational and we have to look at the preaching office as a teaching office and really think of those two terms as synonymous. They are in the scriptures. So they, they should not be distinct really in our practice. Uh, Preaching is teaching and teaching is preaching. Yeah, absolutely. Because of a certain uh, offices will say within the church and the modern church between the IRS and some organizational things, <laughs> it gets a little confusing sometimes. Yeah, but biblically right. speaking, it's one in the same office. He's he's got several other uses. Uh, the the three that are not necessarily in every single sermon for Walther are the rebuke of false doctrine or reproof, the rebuke of sin, and the training in righteousness. And those. Re- the, the two things that rebuke are, are really quite similar to each other. You're either dealing with teaching or with life, but they're, but they're distinct in this way, in that when you're rebuking sin, Walter actually says specifically, do not make it personal. Now, this was something, this is something that happens. It happens, I think, less frequently than it did in Walther's time. In Walther's time, there are actually several different things you can find from the early Missouri Synod telling pastors, stop calling specific people out in your sermons. Mm-hmm. So yeah. this is definitely something that was that was going on, and but Walther is clear with both doctrine rebuking false doctrine and rebuking sin that you should never come off as bitter, right? And I do want to point out though we're talking about typically specific people in the community or the congregation. Right. You could you right. could call out Arius or something like that, but it's, right. <laughs> so rebuking you know some you know someone like that by name. This is like hey Fred Jones. I know you're lending it interest. Stop it. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah. So he says, when you rebuke false doctrine, it may sometimes be personal. You may sometimes name names. It simply depends on what is necessary in that time and place. And you can see this happen in scripture too. False teachers are identified. But like when Paul, when Paul, I, I mean, are you are you seriously telling me that that Chloe's people didn't tell Paul the name of the guy that was sleeping with his mother-in-law. Right. Uh, and, he, and it's so course, notorious, he doesn't even have to name the guy. It's like, you know this, you know this guy, right. that, that right. guy. Right. <laughs> but so when you're rebuking false doctrine, you may have to use names. And when you're rebuking sin, do not do so because it inevitably sounds bitter, personal. And it also sounds like ultimately your concern there is not the gospel, but tail bearing. Yeah, there you go. That's a nice, that's a nice way to put it. No, I mean, it, it is true, and it's rebuking false doctrine as, as we need to, and especially as right. it's pertinent to the congregation. It's not just finding a hobby horse one Sunday and getting on it. It's actually, 
you know, this is like, we need to deal with this, with this particular uh, error that's, that's creeping up. Luther has a particularly hilarious example of a preacher whom he does not name that was preaching to uh, what was essentially like, like a, like a care home, but it was, it was called a hospital in medieval Germany. And it was completely full of old women. (laughs) I mean, that's just who lived there entirely old women. And he said, this man went on at an enormous length on the, the second Sunday after Epiphany, which is uh, usually that's that's when you can preach on marriage. Uh, he went on a, at massive length about the, the blessed estate of marriage and exhorted uh, these widows to enter that state. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you know, you missed. You just missed that Sunday. That's right. Yeah. What's the uh, early modern Europe equivalent of a fedora? there there's a there the category of training and righteousness walther that's sometimes called admonition that i think is something that has fallen out because of our debates about the third use of the law and it hasn't obviously fallen out of the scripture but it requires a specific tone Mm -hmm. walther says it cannot be neglected because the flesh of the regenerate Christian, which is the only person that's going to listen to this admonition, this training in righteousness. The regenerate Christian has lazy flesh, but a willing spirit. And when he hears this admonition to righteousness, he will be roused up to holiness. I think when you think about, quote, the preaching of the law as only having really one tone, or maybe two, and those two are I'm kind of speaking generally and I'm diagnosing in a calm manner what's so wrong with humanity. Or my other tone is I'm kind of screaming at you, like calling you out, maybe even telling you about sins that you've never actually committed. I mean, this has certainly happened to me listening to sermons. I've been accused of things that, you know, it's like I was, I never even had opportunity to be that wicked quite, but you're telling me that I did it. And it's so hyperbolic (laughs) as it just totally shoots over the head of the people who hear it. And it makes for good talking points, or it makes for good headlines, I suppose, but it you've, you've still missed your mark. Right. But Walther says there's a tone that I think sounds more like encouraging or, or, I mean, in a concrete way, it's a tone that like you identify with like a good, you know, coach of like youth sports where mm-hmm. it's like, look, like I want you to do this, but I'm behind you and I'm backing you and I'm helping you. And that tone is one that that's really the tone of admonition. I, I I want this for you and I want the best for you. And I'm laying out for you what that, what that is like. Right. And it, it's always preached in the context of the church, church's community and the gifts of the church, these remedies right. that enable us to be righteous and, and to right. achieve, to achieve what the new man desires. You know, we're not just left on our own there. So yeah, I think the coaching analogy is is, is rather rather good, and, and highlights the active nature of the faith in right. receiving the word, and then living right. it out. And the goal of every sermon for Walther is comfort, and that that's that's very interesting. That's the that's the use that's obviously taken from Romans fifteen, and he says this is because the world is so full of crosses and tribulations. It's interesting that in the nineteenth century, which I look back on, and I'm like. Boy, look at all this Christian fundamentalists running the country, you know, <laughs> but he says, he says, life is, life is evil for a faithful Christian. Life is evil and life is hard and there are crosses and tribulations. And so when we preach to our people, 
we want them to be comforted above all with the knowledge that they are children of God and heirs of salvation. So the goal of every sermon, this is sort of the, the application of the idea, oh, the gospel has to predominate, is that the goal of every sermon reassures the faithful Christian that he is God's child. He is an heir with Christ of all the good things that God has for him. Example of this would be, you know, like when the formula talks about how election should be comforting, right? So if you preach that doctrine and it terrifies faithful Christians, you've gotten it wrong. You might have used scriptural phrases, but you've preached, you've kind of mishandled it in the sense that you've preached it in such a way that it is, it, you have not used it in the way that the Bible uses it. Right. And, and it's, you know, it's comfort for truly hurting people in the midst of evil times. It's not a worldly right. comfort. It's not a promise of worldly comforts to come either. It's ultimately that right. heavenly promise, the hope of that, where the Christian rests, the desire right. to be in communion with God and with God forever. It, it's very different from a worldly comfort. It's not a, it's not a comfort of uh, first article gifts, to turn a phrase there. <laughs> it, it is a comfort that the world cannot give. And so with that, we've got to take our next break. We'll be right back with more Word Fitly. Every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in Him. The mission of Word Fitly Spoken is to put the Word of God at the center of all of life. To find out more, check us out at wordfitlyspoken.org. Welcome back, everyone. You are listening to A Word Fitly Spoken. I'm Willie Grills here with Adam Kuntz, talking CFW author and preaching. So we went through those five points um, in the previous segment, uh, thus setting a firm foundation here. All very interesting stuff. Well, now let's take a look at what Walter has to say about the skill of preaching. Adam? Yeah, he has a bunch of different very practical stuff to say. I think the first is this idea that we mentioned in talking about the foundational use of scripture, which is for teaching. And that is that the preacher should be planning his preaching so that throughout the Christian year, the doctrines of scripture are covered and the catechism is reinforced. Th that has a couple different things to take away. One is that takes a lot, that just takes more time for sermons than we currently allot, where a lot of our sermons are coming in somewhere between 10 and 15 minutes. It is nearly impossible to cover certain things in depth, what needs to be said about marriage, for instance, what needs to be said about the wrath of God, whatever it might be. And you can find lists in a bunch of different, I know Facebook groups have them, uh, especially devoted to the one-year lectionary because it's just been worked on so much that show you 
here is something you can talk about on this Sunday. Here's a portion of the catechism you can tie in with this other Sunday. But you're going to need more than 12 minutes to do that and to, you know, use God's word in the other four ways uh, that we discussed as well in the last segment. So there, there, I think sermons basically have to stretch out in order to, for things basically to, to improve, for biblical literacy to improve, for people's understanding of how God's word applies to their life to improve. I think we just need more time than we're currently taking. Well, well and you know, this this kind of ties into what we were talking about um, at the end of the previous segment with the contrast between comforts of the world and the comfort that the gospel gives. Because modern ears in our part of the world are so attuned to comfort and to ease, what are some of the common excuses given for the shortening of the sermon? Well, people's attention spans are short, which is true. It is shorter because of what they, the way we consume information today. But right. it's also, hey, service can't go too long. I've got things to get to. I want to beat the Baptists right. to Cracker Barrel or or what have you. In this way, the sermon for us now is kind of just by its very nature, a training in righteousness. So can I convince you to sit through 10 full minutes? Okay. Can I gradually stretch you to 15 minutes? Can I stretch you to 20? It, right. It, it's an exercise in forced sanctification if if you really want to take it that way. <laughs> and and it kind of has to be. It, it Yeah, it does. And I think it's also incumbent upon the preacher to say, okay, I do have people who will, who will watch 20 minute Ted talk videos. So why won't they listen? Why won't they stay with me for 20 minutes? That's on me as the preacher, right? It's, it's not on them to say, okay, well, you know, unless you get rid of your smartphones, I'm not going to give you more, more meat in my well, it's, sermons. It's, it's a particularly that, evil or interesting tool of the devil that in an age where people have such short attention spans, we also are in the age of binge watching TV shows. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so you, you can go through, you know, all five seasons of a show in, in a day or two, which amounts to hours and hours, but 15 minis is just cutting it too close. Right. <laughs> just, right. just asking right. too much. Yep. Yep. You need, you need more time. You also, this is kind of the other vector to go from, you want to, you want to prepare to cover the entirety of scripture, at least doctrinally, if not, you know, every single text is that you are planning your preaching out in advance. This doesn't have to mean that you're writing three months worth of worth of sermons ahead of time, but that you have a sense of where you're going over the course of the year and that you do this, even if you are using the one year that you do this and you say, okay, I'm going to be, I'm going to be looking at this or I go back and I say, on this Sunday, three years ago, I talked about this. Maybe I need to come back to that. Or maybe I've done that for two straight years. I need to go in another direction. When you plan, it's much easier to kind of zoom out and assess yourself than when you're just kind of wrapped up. Oh, man, it's Wednesday again. I haven't thought about the sermon yet. You know, and it's really hard to improve when you when you can't kind of step back. And the planning ties into another one of his points, which is very simple, that the sermon must have a point. But there needs to be a central goal. <laughs> right, right. And so planning certainly facilitates that. It does. And when you're doing that, you can come up with a goal six months in advance. 
Uh, now, you're not locked into that. I mean, you can do what you want when you get there in six months, but you have a basic idea. I'm going to be talking about this topic in this specific way. You know, this is where Kemmerer's goal malady means. I mean, the goal part of that really is is fine, especially that when you structure what you're going to say and you say, basically, this is what I'm talking about. I can tell you, I mean, they do, this happens in a lot of things that involve working with words, right? In screenwriting, it's called your log line. If you ask me what my screenplay is about, I can give you a sentence that tells you that. Yes, that's not all the complexity. That doesn't tell you how you're going to feel at this moment in the movie, but you know what it's about, right? What is Lawrence of Arabia about? What is, you know, Bridge Over the River Kwai about? Why am I only talking about David Lean right now? You know, like, <laughs> Hold on. right? That's just your, made a pop your basic cultural, cultural reference, so we need to, we need to write that down. <laughs> Let's uh, let's Thank you know. I mean, if it had been me, it had been like Lucio Fulci films or something even weirder. Usually, Zelwyn's here this to prevent us from doing this, but he's he's right. he's this in the cave now. Yeah. Right. <laughs> he will be editing this, so if it's all bleeped out, I promise you, we were just talking about movies. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, Walther says you know a lot of sermons contain a bunch of true statements. I'm paraphrasing a bunch of true statements but they have no impact because they're not organized around anything. So the hearer comes away with the impression that he both doesn't quite know what the preacher was talking about. And certainly that he doesn't think the preacher was talking about him because when your sermon is organized, it's much easier for it to be applied to specific people. Yeah. And, and this is where, you know, this is why we can't come down too hard on one way or another for people to prepare. We can make the case that it's better to go without a manuscript for a number of reasons. And we would typically agree with that, but some people yep. do need the detailed outline, do need the manuscript in order to stay organized because, right. uh, and that's just the way it is. And so right. it's just, it's just people are people, individuals are individuals. You just want to avoid, especially that kind of fortune cookie sounding sermon where you're just sort of cracking open a fortune cookie, reading another line, cracking open a fortune cookie and reading another <laughs> one. It, um, you know, it's, yeah, it, yeah. It, it becomes confusing. So yeah, it has to have a point, uh, need, needs to be organized, needs to have a point so that people do not become indifferent to what they're hearing. Yeah. And that, that, that's, I mean, the stakes are really high here because when the preaching is bad, especially when it doesn't teach, it creates indifference to God's word. I mean, people just tune out because they, they know they've either heard it before or they have no idea what you're talking about, or sometimes both. And and in that case, what you're doing is you're taking people who, and I mean, Walther is grateful for this in his own time and place. I'm even more grateful when people show up for church in our time and place. He says, look, nobody's forcing. It's not, he says, it's not like in Germany where they could be fined for not showing up every once in a while. No one is forcing them to be there. And yet they're there. So please honor them by giving them something to care about, because if you're going to talk in an unstructured way, or if you're going to talk in a way that is unclear, you are going to create massive indifference to Christ's word by doing so. Mm -hmm. And so with that, then, the preacher must prepare through prayer, meaning that he must consult with God on this, (laughs) asking God, you know, to, to give him the wisdom necessary. Uh, and this is where we get a little nervous, right? Because it can turn into just sort of an informal, hey, 
dear God, Father God, <laughs> as it were, <laughs> Daddy, Daddy God. Yeah, 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 yeah. right. You know, let, let let me not blow it up here or something like that. But you could you <laughs> you pray for wisdom in the text. Uh, you pray for the strength to preach God's word, and you know right. sometimes it helps. I mean, don't be like good. I don't say I don't say this to give anyone stage fright or anything, but you are dividing God's word. And that is a very serious thing. Yeah. You are preaching the words of God. And so we, we do want to be diligent in that. I'm reminded of a professor that I had in undergrad, not a Lutheran, but so pretend I didn't say that part, but his name was Dr. Girdwood. And he would preach in chapel, a very old guard guy, very conservative, you know, probably the last true fundamentalist uh, left on the campus. Before chapel, when he would preach, we would always see him pacing back and forth and with kind of a nervous look. We asked him one time, Dr. Girdwood, you okay, man? <laughs> Do we need to get an ambulance? What's going on? And he was just <laughs> praying, but he was kind of, and he said, well, he goes, I'm always a little bit nervous because I'm going to speak the words of God and I want to be faithful to him. And those words stuck with me because that's a wholesome moment you don't often get in college. But, <laughs> right. <laughs> and at the time, maybe it struck me as a little too pietistic for lack of a better word or some you know silly thing like that but uh, he he is right and that is a good attitude to have that i am going to right. preach god's word and i want to do well so i'm i'm here i'm just taking a moment you know by myself until you stupid college kids showed up and interrupted me uh you know to pray you know and to and to prepare myself to to divide the word of god and so i, I think you can do worse uh, than have an attitude like that Totally. I mean, Melanchthon, who, you know, I guess if you took an IQ test, would probably have one of the highest IQs in the Reformation, if such a thing existed. Actually, he, he said, preaching is not an art. Otherwise, I would be able to do it. Mm -hmm. And what he meant by that was it, it wasn't a kind of academic skill, because he had all those. He had those gifts aplenty. Luther did too. But what Melanchthon meant by that was that because preaching relies upon God, prayer is utterly necessary to the task. In fact, the task cannot be accomplished without devout prayer that God would use you rightly and open your mind to understand and to expound and apply God's word. And failing that, you are relying upon yourself. And right. Walther, in his pastoral theology, has this, what, what something that I, I have never heard anyone say this in our time. If you want to go ahead and, and preach without praying, perhaps God will say, I will now abandon this one <laughs> right? <laughs> because he thinks that he can do this by himself. <laughs> well, and if, if we think it's all on us, some particular skill that we've, you know, been given from on high or something like that. And of course, all right. good gifts come from right. God. And, and as long as we acknowledge those gifts is from him, we're okay. We're, we're all probably Okay. But there is a haughtiness that can enter into it. My my preaching is superior because I possess these skills. I can put the magic words together and make it sound good, and I get more right. clicks on my on my stream or something like that. Yep. Um, and that this is one of the great dangers of internet of internet communications. We forget sometimes that we again we are preaching to the people that God has called us to. Or whatever, you know, this particular audience is who we're preaching to. We're not meant to be preaching to everybody in the world through a through a live stream right. or through something like right. that. These are these things are fine and they're good, but there's very much a cultus that can grow up around certain personalities with this. It's much easier to do. Of course, it was a problem right. in Paul's day, as we know, 
and you know, in the time of the New Testament, but it's possibly even easier to develop that kind of thing today. Yeah, no, no question. And and in the same way that God has not ordained virtual communion, God has not also not ordained celebrities in the church. He has ordained right. ministers of the new covenant, but he has not ordained celebrities. Right. He he raises up great men whose influence may reach far and wide from the early church down through today, but but they are not uh, celebrities in in this way, and it's never meant right. to be a, a following uh, them. If you're if you followed some great church father, it's because they followed in the footsteps of Christ, and and, right. and he is the one who had raised them up to that position. But sometimes we forget that, and how easy it is to put our faith in a particular preacher, a particular e-celeb, or whatever. Very bad place to find ourselves in. And it's very easy to become indifferent that way, as a, as a hearer of the word. Yep. You know, because if, if my favorite guy doesn't speak, then I don't need to listen. I think it's it's also the cause of something that happens when we read the preaching of men from the past or we see the preaching of someone who is a pastor to a different group of people and that is that we we misapply what was extremely pertinent in their time and place and we try to apply it without any qualification or or any change to our own so the an example that Walther brings up is that guys that are trying to just be Luther misunderstand something, which is that Luther was extremely timely. So Walther says, maybe when you read Luther, you're like, man, he goes so hard on the Pope, like all the time. Like, this is pretty boring, you know, like, right. <laughs> like, geez, like, I know, I know the Pope is bad. Like, okay, fine. Like monasticism, bad. Okay, fine. Whatever. You know, but Walther says the re- he's not doing that because he actually even personally finds that interesting. And when Walther talks about timeliness, he says, you're going to have to address things ad nauseum. That is your nausea, right? It will induce your nausea because Mm -hmm. it comes up over and over and over again, but your people have to hear about it. So Walther says, for instance, you know, I I don't have to go uh, on and on and on about monasticism all the time like Luther did, but I do have to go on and on and on, he says, in my own time about Freemasonry or socialism. Uh, And you think about the, the, the sins that particularly trouble you. You know, as a pastor out there, or the ones that you that you come in contact with among your members, it's generally one of like the same three sins that you have to keep hammering and hammering on. You don't get you, the the preaching office is not a sitcom where you get some unique and wacky situation each week. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's pretty yes. much consistent, uh, you know, yep. it, it, throughout a congregation. And yep. so again, it, it has to be it has to be timely. And so yeah. maybe you don't preach on the pietists all the time. Yeah, I mean I I think I think that's that's something like when you read Walther when you read enough Walther you see how often he is handling pietism specifically and the problem with that is kind of taking that and and universalizing it in a way that Walther's explicitly saying don't universalize someone else's sermons. Right. <laughs> And we've done that to the point where these these labels really have no power anymore. They don't really mean anything. It's just sort of become just an insult you throw out to the point of, okay, well, what does that even mean? Right. Well, it's just any anybody who, who I don't like at this point who might believe in the third use or something like that. That's pretty much the modern definition, the way it's used. <laughs> you know, we, we are dealing with unique circumstances. I, I would argue that if, 
here's a here's a historic label that the Epicureans have for now won the day. And so the, this is something that we have to find ourselves preaching against more and more. But beyond that, it's gone from hedonism to very quickly, as it always does, a denial of what it even means to be human. So we are in very interesting territory here with regard to our preaching now, as far as what is timely. And to be a timely preacher, I mean, Walter faced certain risks in his sermons, and, and the ministers of the 19th century faced certain risks. But we are being raised up in a time where the risks are arguably greater and going to be greater with regard to preaching the truth of the scripture. The chance the chances of Walter, you know, losing church property or something over what he preached in America were relatively slim. Yeah. Martin, yeah you know, it's different today. And so it took great bravery to preach the way he did. And it takes great bravery for preachers of all times to preach according to the scriptures. But even now, God is going to have to give us a greater measure of sand, so to speak, <laughs> so to for, speak. The, for the times ahead. And uh, this is no time for mealy-mouthed preachers. This is no time for equivocators. This is no time for conciliatory, glad-handing, and fake praise. This is a time for men with chests, men with broad shoulders, men with uh, not even necessarily with golden tongues, but with tongues of fire to get up and say, this is the word of God. This is what it teaches. And on this we stand. And how do we do that without just getting up there and sounding like a madman? Well, maybe we can take some of the practical advice that Walter gives us so that not only will our preaching be bold, but our preaching will be coherent and our preaching will be accessible because you can have both. And I, I, I'd like to I'd like to wind up where he does with talking about how those experiences, especially of tribulation and of hardship, are fruitful for a preacher. So the stuff that you just talked about is not to be feared. It's rather to be welcomed in the same sense that we should welcome discipline and chastisement as a sign that we are actually God's sons. Tribulation for a preacher is fruitful because it feeds right back into his understanding of God's word and his fervency in prayer, and it inspires him all the more to carry out his his task. Well, Adam, thank you so much for joining us. That's going to wrap us up. I'm sure we'll be back with more Walther in the near future. And if, as far as this Preaching Christ uh, series goes, if there's somebody you'd really like us to focus on, uh, shoot us a message or something. We'd be happy to consider any and all names, even bad ones, right? <laughs> so, Correct. Right. Well, thank you all very much. This has been a Word Fitly Spoken. If you like what you heard and want to know more, check us out wordfitlyspoken.org, facebook.com slash wordfitly, or Twitter at wordfitly. I'm Willie Grills here with Adam Kuntz. God love you and God bless.